Please be seated. Perhaps this has happened in your neighborhood. You want to back your car out of your driveway, but you can barely make it because there are so many other cars tucked in along all the straight and curved places. And of course, it's because someone down the street is having a grand party. At least in my old neighborhood, there were a lot of teens So every spring, there was a gigantic graduation party. And it wasn't just the parents who actually knew where to park. It was their friends who continually blocked driveways, exits, and entrances. Obviously, it was great fun. In our gospel today, Jesus speaks of a great party. He speaks of the great dinner. It is a theme he will return to again and again. He's referring, of course, to the great banquet described by the prophet Isaiah. And when he speaks his words of teaching, he is offering something much more profound than a reminder of good table manners. Let us not take it as just that. To understand it, though, we need to know something about how those dinners worked in Jesus' own day. See, it was not a casual thing. We should not confuse our ancient life with a come-as-you-are situation. It was hardly that. Compare it to Downton Abbey and where you sat You know, it wasn't just which fork to pick up. It was where you sat at the dinner table. A mistake there would haunt you for decades. Right? We know that. Even if you never watched Downton Abbey, we know. So that's what these dinner table settings were like with Jesus and the Pharisees. But it was more than that because there was a great deal of hidden give and take, benefit and influence exchanged. I refer you to madmen now. Imagine one of those dinner parties in that era full of business partners and potential business partners and how that influence and utility went back and forth. In fact, this is how it worked with the Pharisees' dinner table. Jesus actually experienced what it was to be disciplined at one of those dinners when he was, in fact, not given a place of honor. They were trying to put him in his place. It did not work. So when we are thinking about our gospel Imagine that kind of precedence and now hear what Jesus is telling us when he says, invite the poor, the lame, the sick, those who cannot repay you. Those are the ones to invite, not the one who promotes whatever your next venture is. In fact, Jesus is telling us to engage in an interior reversal of motivation and totting up of influence. 
And the only way to do that is if you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It is not in our nature to act like this. It is in our nature to figure out who can do something for us. Instead, Jesus is inviting us to a new way. And it is that way of invitation and self-giving. It is how we figure out how to do the next right thing. The next right thing according to Jesus. And the only way to do that is if you are filled with him and following him. So what does it look like? Let me give you a couple of examples. And the first comes from fiction. It's an old movie, and I'm wondering if you have heard of it. A movie called Harvey with Jimmy Stewart. Let me give you homework if you have not seen it. Find it on Netflix. Do yourself a favor and watch Harvey. So in Harvey, there is a, there is a, a much put upon widowed sister. This is in the 40s. And her older bachelor brother lives with her. And he tends to invite all sorts of people to dinner that she would prefer not darken her doorway. So in this, and, and, and by the way, a side note is that he also has a close personal relationship with a six-foot-tall invisible puka rabbit whose name is Harvey. That is not to the point. You have to watch the movie to see how he figures in. But this is how it would be. Elwood would be talking with a guy who delivers the coal, and he would look over and he would say, Hello, have we met? I'm Elwood. Elwood peed out. Then he'd pull out his card and he'd hand it over. And then the next thing he would do is he'd look at him again and say, Would you like to come to dinner? Well, the coal man would stutter. And then he would say, okay. And then Elwood would lean in and he would say, when? (laughs) Which meant that the sister kept coming home to all sorts of undesirables at the dinner table. Elwood's life was wonderful. My grandfather was a little like that. He is my second example. He was a holy man, and I love to preach on him. My mother often came home to find guests on our back deck. Guests that she did not expect, not that she resisted. But when she found the rector, the new rector, having cream of mushroom soup and Ritz crackers and spiced tea on the back deck, she would have liked a little notice. She would have picked up after her three teenage daughters. Tide also invited all sorts of other folks to come by and have a cup of tea and consolation. He, in fact, became the first place that brand new Jehovah's Witnesses would go. (laughs) They would knock on the door. I would open the door. They'd say who they were, and I would say, Tide, it's for you. But you see, he would always invite them in, back to the deck, to have a cold drink, and they would engage in a robust conversation about theology, but it was friendly. And so this is where they began their newbies. Every time was at our house with my grandfather, who invited people to the dinner party. But the dinner that Jesus is talking about is far more than just a meal. 
It is any time that we gather for benefit or utility. It is any time that we gather for close fellowship. There are many dinners where we can make an invitation. It might look like setting up your kid's carpool at the beginning of the year. Those who have kids have probably already done this. It's where you agree to invite into your carpool circle the single mom that you know very well will almost never be able to do the pickup herself. And you will not feed yourself on resentment, but count it a blessing to help that family. Another way to invite someone to the dinner table might be to engage in conversation with that person who is sitting alone. It could be a special needs person for whom speech is slow and difficult. It could be one of our valued lonely elders for whom speech is also difficult and slow. Where we know we will spend most of our time listening And we will surely miss the glittering repartee happening across the room. But we do not console ourselves with irritation. We count it a blessing to be at that dinner table with that person. It may be that we are called upon to offer the hospitality for the great American Board of Yoga. Because we're on the board And we agree to do the coffee with young Susie, who we know never remembers to bring the snacks, and we are going to have to bring double. Again, we will do this because we are people who reach out. How do you do this next right thing? There's a joke, of course, in the about medicine, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. My word to us today is take two holy moments and continue on. I believe it's the only way we can do it. It is only if we are filled with grace and gratitude that we can even spot the moment to welcome someone else in. Most of those moments fly by. We never knew we had the chance. The first holy moment is this, this gathering, this assembly of the body of Christ, of of the community of practicing Christians who are figuring out how to do it day by day, week by week, come to be fed again. I believe that while we have the first part of our liturgy is uh, instruction, scripture, reflection, it is if we are a boat in the harbor, we are yet in shallow water. But we are given an opportunity to feed our souls on pure adoration. Not for what God can do for us. Not with our valid prayer list of concerns. But opening our soul to pure love and praise of our maker. 
And that, I really believe, is what our service and liturgy is designed to do when we come into the deep waters of the Eucharist. We leave the harbor mouth, and as we have the offertory go forward, we unfurl our sails, and the wind of the Holy Spirit catches us up, and we, in a stream of prayer and praise, float out into the deep, deep waters of adoration. By the final blessing, we are home again in our port. But our hearts have been so filled with love and adoration that we are aware of the grace that surrounds us and we naturally turn to gratitude. The second holy moment I would recommend is time together in a small group with scripture. That close fellowship, that close listening to the word of God. Father Timothy Dombeck and I spent the weekend at a wonderful conference all about how the ancient church formed Christians, technically known as the catechumenate, but what we did is we would gather together in small groups over scripture. This was an artificial setting. We knew we were there for a conference. We were not members of the same parish. We knew we were learning while we were doing, and yet the Holy Spirit showed up. And in those sequential times of scripture, we were moved, we were touched, We recognize the work of God in someone else's life, and sometimes we could recognize that God had been working in our own personal lives. With those two doses of holiness each week, surely we can see the time to make the invitation to open the table. In our daily life, we see much that gives us concern. Our minds, our Facebook feed, and the news is filled with pictures of Italy. Pictures of Baton Rouge flooding away. And pictures of Aleppo again. We are not apart from that. Our hearts are filled with compassion. That is our natural response as followers of Jesus. And so we offer up our prayer and our concern. Maybe you find the name of a town in Italy and start to pray for it by name. Pray for the doctors or the nurses or the rescue people there. Maybe you will be part of a team that will go down to Louisiana and this fall put in sweat equity on some elders house because they can't do the drywall by themselves but there's something else that crosses my mind it is an urgency because you see the chance to offer this kind of goodness or blessing and receive it back again it is not unlimited it is time limited you never know when the very foundations of your life will be shaken away or simply washed out and down the river. There is an urgency to our ability to invite, and we need to act upon it.
And we will find it to be a great blessing. And I will tell you why. You see, Jesus talks about inviting folks to the great dinner. And we know what a blessing that is. We know that we ourselves are blessed and loved by God. My friends, we are also willful and we are broken. There is not one of us who can earn by totting up good deeds all of the good things that God has to give to us. We cannot do that. And so let us know and admit and rejoice that we ourselves gathered here today, we are the very first of the poor and the blind and the lame that Christ has invited to his dinner. Amen.